0: Have you ever wondered about using dermoscopy in practice? It can be a complicated area, but in this episode, we're going to have Dr. Chin Wai Brew from the PCDS talking about how you can start using dermoscopy in your practice from the time you finish watching this episode, including some of her key hacks that made her life a lot easier doing this, and even some information about the various different dermoscopes that you may want to consider before we get to our more detailed episode about which one you absolutely need to consider buying. We're going to go through everything right now for you. Let's tech enhance your primary care and learn. So in this episode, we're joined by Dr. Chin Wybrew. How are we doing there, Chin? Good, thank you. I often like people to introduce themselves, so why don't you tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Lovely. I'm Chin Wybrew. I'm a GP in Cheltenham, and I do lots of work for the Primary Care Dermatology Society, PCDS, teaching dermoscopy. Um, And general dermatology. And I also work for the University of Cardiff, where I also teach dermoscopy and um, help out on the Cardiff um, General Dermatology diploma Diploma in Practical Dermatology course. Sorry.
0: Not a problem. And, and that's amazing because whenever I talk about the social groups and all that kind of stuff, people asking, you know, what kind of dermo- you know, dermatology course should I do? Definitely the Cardiff one comes up quite often. So great to have that experience and stuff. And I know today you're going to be talking to us about the myth that is dermoscopy. And I say the myth because it's an area of medicine that I've really shied away from. So I'm looking forward to getting an education myself in terms of how it works and, and how to do it a lot more effectively and how I can use it more in practice. Um, but yeah so tell us about demoscopy.
1: Well demoscopy is very exciting that's the first thing to say um, and before we get started this is really just a kind of a um, why do we bother with demoscopy kind of thing and um, there's obviously quite a lot that you can learn about it and there's quite a lot that you can learn about interpreting what you're looking at through the scope mm-hmm. and we do lots of courses of that on that with the PCDS. Can you um, flick the slides up onto the screen so sure that we can there we see there we go. So the pcds website is pcds.org.uk and we do courses on how to interpret what you're looking at through the scope. Um, we also have links on there to more detailed reviews of all of the scopes that I'm going to talk about today and more. We have troubleshooting tips on dermoscopy and also on photography. And photography tips, both for patients and for doctors. So there are links on there that you can use to um, send patients, for example, an Accurix text, um, which gives them just details on how to get a decent picture to send to the GP. Um, and there's also lots of stuff on there about how to take good pictures as a GP through the dermatoscope, as well as loads of general dermatology information. Cool. So that's a PCDS website in a nutshell. But Demoscopy is what we come to talk about today. And so I'm just going to start off by showing you a picture of a lesion. So this one here is an ugly duckling lesion. So it's a black mark which has appeared on someone's back. And this is something which will quite commonly come to us in general practice and the patient's worried this is a melanoma and they don't know how long it's been there because it's on their mm-hmm. back. They only just noticed it in the mirror. And can you tell what that is?
0: Mm, it looks like a mole to me.
1: OK. And it's not a mole. Hooray! Hmm. So this one here is actually a Seb K. And one of the great things about demoscopy is we can put the dermatoscope on and here it is. This is actually in non-polarised mode. Sorry, this is in Mm -hmm. polarised mode, and here it is in non-polarised mode. And what we can see here is, firstly, that there is a difference between the two. And Mm -hmm. secondly, in this picture, I hope you can see that we have got these structures here Mm -hmm. that are called comedo-like openings, and these are like chocolate chips bursting out of the top of a chocolate chip muffin. And we also have some little white dots down here, and these are called milia like cysts and they shine up brightly through it. So if I flick between the two, you can see that these jump out at you mm-hmm. and show you that these are classical features. So they look like a chocolate chip muffin that you'll see in the keratosis. Now, we're quite good at recognising seb-Ks generally, aren't we? So here's a, mm-hmm. another picture. And uh, this chap has come to see me because one of his seb is bleeding. And we can see he's got lots and lots of them all over. Mm -hmm. And this one down here has been bleeding. And the problem with this is that it's a a common thing that we see, and that's fine, and we would normally reassure and say, yeah, yeah, that's a Seb-K, it's just bleeding. But if you put your dermatoscope on this one, we see this. And this does not look to me like a chocolate chip muffin. No. So this is actually a melanoma. And it's a melanoma that looks exactly like a traumatized SEBK. So you can't really tell the difference clinically, but you really can tell the difference easily with demoscopy. Another example I've got here <clears throat> here are two lesions. One of these is a SEBK, one of these is something else. So, any ideas which one might be the K?
0: I was worried you are going to ask me here. So I'm going to go with the one on the left.
1: Okay, the one on the left is a Seb K. Well done. Any ideas what the one on the right might be?
0: I'm going to say an SCC, given the way you're talking.
1: Uh, Not quite. So this one on the left, this is the Seb K. Mm -hmm. And here we've got those chocolate chip cookie-type structures up here and down here and some darker ones down there. So that's a Seb K. Mm -hmm. This one on the right actually has rather different looking structures and this one's a BCC. Okay. So that's quite cool. Here's another cool example. So two people with things on their arms. Are you particularly worried about either of these?
0: From the images I can see, no, but I'd probably want to have a closer look.
1: Excellent. Okay. So if we have a closer look at the bottom one first, this is the demoscopy of this and the the thing that gives this away is these white lines. So this lady was actually seen by one of my healthcare assistants about something completely different. And she said, oh, what's that on your arm? And the patient said, oh, it's just a mole. And my HCA said, can I have a look at that with a dermatoscope?" And when she saw the white lines, she came to get me because this is actually a melanoma. Okay. Chap at the top. Um, again another incidental one and this is actually also a melanoma in this case the thing that gives it away is that we've got blue colors and black colors and brown globules of different sizes and shapes and things in a rather Mm -hmm. irregular looking shape so the, the really important message here is that with demoscopy we can see, we can find melanomas we would otherwise miss, but -hmm. we can also reassure people about things that we might otherwise refer on a two-week wait. So that first one that I showed you that was the um, Seb K, Mm -hmm. that would really clinically have been quite reasonable to refer on a two-week wait. And I think if you don't have demoscopy, that would be the right thing to do. Yet with demoscopy, you can instantly reassure the patient, which is good for the patient. And you can mm-hmm. save yourself the hassle of having to fill in all the forms to do the 2 e wait, which saves us time as well. Mm-hmm. And for these two, you know, potentially you might save a life by picking mm-hmm. up an early melanoma. So that's the sort of the benefits of demoscopy. And I think it's important to just think about what demoscopy actually is. Because it's something that, you know, I mean, is this really any different to a magnifying glass and a decent light? And the really important message to get across here is that there are two ways of doing demoscopy. And both of them involve basically a 10 times magnifying glass and a decent light. But that in itself isn't enough. That will get you a really good view of the surface of a lesion. And that gives Mm -hmm. you loads of information. And that's fantastic. But what you do with demoscopy is you're looking through the surface. And I'd sort of liken this to a swimming pool. So imagine you have a swimming pool and you've got a pattern of tiles along the bottom of the pool. Okay. And you think one of these tiles might be damaged. So you could drain the pool and have a look at all the tiles along the bottom, and that would be equivalent to doing a biopsy. Or if you're a fisherman and you happen to have some polarized sunglasses, and the fisherman will know about this one, you put your polarized glasses on and you can see through the surface. It cuts out a lot of the reflections from the surface and you can see through to the bottom of the pool much more easily that way. Or you could get a glass bottom boat and float it on the surface. And so long as you've got contact, between the water and the bottom of the boat, then you'll be able to see the bottom of the pool really easily. And that's basically what demoscopy is. So there are two types of demoscopy. You can look with polarized light, in which case you don't need contact fluid, but you're always gonna get better pictures if you use contact fluid, and I would always use it anyway. Um, and that's basically keeping your sunglasses on whilst you're in your glass bottom boat. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the glass bottom boat, you don't actually need the polarised glasses. You can just look with contact fluid on its own with normal light. And because there are these two types of dermoscopy, that gives you three types of scope. So you can have a polarised only dermatoscope. An example of that is the light carbon. And. Um, the thing with the polarised-only scopes is that they tend to have less magnification, so they tend to be six times rather than ten times magnification, and they tend to have quite a small end bit to look through. and um, They don't have an end plate on them usually. You can have a non-polarised-only, so for example, the Heine Mini and um, or some jeweler's loops, which can be bought very cheaply on Amazon, but you have to get the right sort of jeweler's loop to use for that. Um, and they have the advantage that they are cheap, um, but the disadvantage that you can't see the, the polarised and non-polarised features in the same with the same uh, scope, if the scope will only do one. And because there are several lesions where there are some things that you can only see with non-polarised light and some things that you can only see with polarised light, really a hybrid is the best of both worlds. And I would suggest that if you are thinking of buying either a polarised only or a non-polarised only, you should possibly think again because this is likely to turn out to be a false economy. Okay. Um, and here's these pictures again. I like these pictures because this is your polarised versus non-polarised mm-hmm. and you can just flip between the two and see the differences. Mm-hmm. So there's a few scopes Um, to think about if you're a GP um, and in general practice and basically if you want the the best scope for a GP and money is no object then the Dermalight DL4 is fantastic if you want a sort of standard ordinary perfectly good enough for a job in GP ideal for sharing around the practice kind of scope I would go for one of these three, which is the DermLite 200 hybrid, the Iluco IDS 1100 or the Heini Delta 1. Um, but the most important thing is to not forget the magnetic camera attachment and to make sure that everyone has a magnetic camera attachment that can attach to their phone. And there's one that I will show you coming up in the reviews, um, which you can attach to any phone. There's a universal one for that. Um, And so, yeah, so that's basically what what Demoscopy is and how it works. And as I say, if you want to do some courses on how to interpret what you see, then do come to the PCDS website and have a look at our courses. Some of them are available just online as recordings. Some of them are available live. Um, And there's also more detailed reviews of all the scopes that we've talked about and more and all the other stuff that I was saying before and dermoscopy is really cool and one of the problems with dermoscopy is that once you start getting into it you can really get into it and there's just so much that you can learn and so much that you can see it's really quite exciting and very beautiful
0: so obviously right now general practice is a bit chaotic and there must be some easy ways that you can structure using dermoscopes and that kind of stuff in practice have you got any tips for us at all
1: yeah, I think one of the one of the things that's come out more since we've been doing more of our online consulting and e-consults and stuff coming through is that quite often we'll get photos from patients who send us a picture of a lesion, which is quite often blurry, out of focus, poorly lit kind of thing. And even with the best quality clinical photo, actually sometimes really what you need is dermoscopy. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't really have enough appointments to see every patient that sends me a photo of a skin lesion. Mm -hmm. So I do have a fantastic HCA who um, I will basically, I'll have a look at something, I'll book them in with her, and she takes the dermoscopy photo, which Mm -hmm. she then sends to me, and then I can just phone the patient and deal with it over the phone. Um, And if she's really worried, she might come and get me if I'm in the building, but most of the time I'm not, to be honest, because I only work Mm part-time. But that's really, uh, it's a really good tip. That one is that if you can train up one of your HCAs and you're only training them to take a photo, you're not training them to interpret what they see, but it's much more fun if they can. And so I do always say to her, you've got to tell me what you think it is. You Mm. you don't tell the patient what you think it is. You tell me what you think it is, because that makes it more fun and that means you learn more. Mm. Um, But basically, she's just taking the picture and sending it to me and We've got some great quality pictures from her and actually plenty of pictures that I've then been able to just send straight on to the dermatologist as part of the referral.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess potentially that's also something practices can explore doing from a network perspective as well. You know, it it sounds like it works remotely. It's just a case of then sending the images or even within CCG referral structures, like you say, referring on to teledermatology as well uh, afterwards.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's something that can be done within... Each practice, but certainly it's something that you could do across the network if you wanted to set it up. Yeah, cool. that would work well.
0: And I guess one of the other problems I've always found with trying to do teledermatology effectively has always been about making sure the devices are charged properly and all that kind of stuff. Any tips, kind of thing?
1: Very much so. So you have there. There are two issues. Either you have the scope and someone um, leaves it switched on and doesn't turn it off, so that it runs out of battery or they um, leave it because it's kept in a cupboard um, so that everyone can get to it. It never gets charged in the cupboard or it's left on charge forever and that damages the battery. One of the great things about all the new scopes is they all charge with a micro USB port. And this is the same as your mobile phone. And most of us will have in our rooms a mobile phone charger anyway. Mm -hmm. So what I tend to do is when I go and get it out of the cupboard, I will stick it in and charge it whilst... So i use it and then put it on my desk, stick it in and charge it, leave it charging until the end of my session, at which point it then goes back in the cupboard. All of us happen to have um, these chargers for our phones and we all pretty much have one in every room. Mm-hmm. Um, some people who have iPhones might need to just get the, uh, the, the min- micro USB Um, lead to do it but basically that's the key you charge it whilst you finish your surgery before you put it away again and that Mm. way it's always charged for everyone some of them will turn themselves off if you accidentally leave them on and which is another bonus but not all of them do that unfortunately
0: okay definitely agree with the whole micro usb charger hack I, I use that for my mouse for example so my mouse is usb charged and when it suddenly dies on me the cool thing is just sticking the cable in and i can still use it whilst it's charging and triple head chargers, like you mentioned micro usb um mini usb as well as um, usb c-, c and the iphone you can easily get a hold of them if people want to have a look i'll put some links down below and stuff
1: cool yeah that's that's definitely the way forward
0: any other hacks
1: no i think my only other one would be just about how you attach your scope to your phone And. Um, if you're using, so we used to use a camera and you can get great pictures with a camera and that's fantastic, but actually downloading it is a bit of a pain. Mm. Um, and so we now actually all use our own mobile phones for taking pictures um, and we use an app on the phone and um, there are lots of different apps. So we can either use Synapsis, which is our local app that we use for advice and guidance, and um, or we use an app called Pando, which is free um free to download it's available on apple and android and it's nhs approved and it sends the photos securely to your own Mm -hmm. nhs net email and it resizes them on the way so that they don't slow down your computer system when you upload them into the into the uh, patient record so that's the other really good and it means everyone can use it everyone always has access to a camera Mm -hmm. because everyone always has their phone on them and everyone always has a charged camera because
0: everyone's phone is always okay. Definitely agree with the Pando option. It's one of the ones I use with my trainees to say to them, actually, if you want to send me images when they're out on visits, for example, when they're seeing patients and they don't want to make the patient wait and stuff, using the Pando app rather than their own in-camera app storage. But definitely from a data security point of view, much better because it's all secure and contained and all that kind of stuff. So definitely a good hack there. Thank you for that one and reminding me of that one as well.
1: And so, yeah, get going with your demoscopy, everyone. Really good thing to be doing in general practice.
0: Absolutely. Sounds like it. And I must admit, I'm intrigued now to dip my toe into the market. You mentioned obviously looking at the various different dermoscopes and stuff. So if our EGP learners do want to check out the various different ones in more detail, um, join us again for this episode right here where Dr. Wybro is going to explain the various different ones that she've mentioned and we're going to give you a little bit of a demo and stuff. So do check that out. Alternatively, YouTube's going to be wrenching another one right here for you that you can have a look at it if you want to. And as always, EGP Learning is here to help save you and your patients' time by tech enhancing your primary care and learning. And we'll catch you in the next episode.